I am 42, I am single, never married, no kids, and I am also fulfilled. I'm not frightened, I'm not frustrated, and you want to know why? Because I belong to Jesus. And you know what Jesus says in John 10, 10? He says that he has come that we might all have life and life to the full. And he doesn't say that is conditional. You get life if you're married with kids. He says, I came to bring life to everyone. So today, wherever you are, if you're married or if you're single, I want you to know you are here on purpose for a purpose. On purpose for a purpose. We've got some uh, text to read today. Let's read 1 Peter 4, 8. I think you guys have used this in your series. It says this, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And then Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We pray in these next few moments that you would speak through your word. Open our hearts, open our minds. Do what only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I know we don't know each other, so I want to tell you three things about me um, because maybe it'll help you get to know me a little bit better. I am a bivocational church planter, which basically just means I do a lot of things. So I work in the corporate world and learning and development, and I also, 11 months ago this weekend, planted the Gathering Community Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, in the heart of the, of the cities. Um, and it's awesome. If you think of us, pray for us. Because awesome things are happening. People are meeting Jesus. They're finding their purpose. Um, and scary things are happening. Like we just bought a building, which is not something I expected to do the first 10 years that I planted a church, right? But God made a way. And so pray for us because it's, it's awesome and it's overwhelming. The second thing you should know about me is that I'm from Kansas City. And so I am a diehard, loyal, bleed red Kansas City Chiefs fan. And I was a fan. Yeah, let's go. I was a fan. I was a fan of the Chiefs before they were good. Okay. Um, and I'm also from a big family. None of my family lives here. I have one cousin that lives here. The rest of my family all lives out of state. Um, but we are a big family. I've got three siblings, and I have five step-siblings. Um, and we love to get together. Even though I am up here, we love to get together. And I remember specifically one Christmas. It was actually the Christmas before I moved up to Minnesota to go to North Central. And it was Christmas morning. We were opening packages. And my dad, uh, like, pushed a package my way. It was the last package of the morning, and it was a big one. And I was like, oh, awesome. This is a big gift. This is exciting. And he says to me before I open it, he says, by the way, I bought this for you. And if you can guess what's in this package, I will give you $100. And it was 1998, so that was like a lot of money. So I'm guessing, I'm thinking maybe he's giving me a stereo for college, you know, like a stereo. Do you, kids don't know that, stereo. I'm thinking he's giving me that, or maybe he's giving me a computer, you know, something I can really use at college, like I was excited. And I open it up, and I had hubcaps. 
hubcaps, and I literally didn't even know what they were. I was like, what is this gift? And I don't want to be ungrateful, but I don't get it. Like, I'm very, very confused right now. I honestly don't even know if they ever made it onto my uh, 1991 GeoPrism. I was like, what is this gift? Dads, don't get your kids hubcaps. Or if you do, tell them, and don't act like it's really something cool, like a stereo. Have you ever been given a gift that you didn't ask for? Or have you ever been given a gift that you weren't sure how to use? See, the text that we read, 1 Peter 4, 8, it tells us that we've all been given gifts, that God has given each of us gifts, and we're to use those gifts to steward and to serve other people. And some of these gifts we understand, right? Like, I've been blessed financially, so I'm going to bless other people. Or like, I've been given a gift of hospitality, so I'm going to invite other people over for dinner and share God's love with them. Or like, I've been given a gift to teach, so I'm going to go and be a teacher in the public school, whatever it is. We get a lot of gifts. And then there are some gifts that we just don't understand. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul actually calls singleness a gift. Singleness is a gift, but that's not really how we see it, is it? Most of the time, we see it as a curse or a limp. We see it as something to be cured instead of something to be celebrated. We think that single means you're destined to loneliness. Well, listen, Psalm 68 says God sets the lonely in families. You're not destined to loneliness, but the truth is all of us in our lives will have a season of singleness. Most of us don't get married when we're born. Some of us will have a season of singleness later in our lives. So we need to understand it is a gift. It is not a curse. But culture doesn't do well talking about singleness, do they? Culture around us says that either you're incomplete if you're single, so you should be on all the dating apps and you should be sleeping with whoever you need to sleep with to figure out if you're compatible and you should be obsessed with rom-coms and you need to have all the Hallmark movie stuff going on or else you're incomplete. Or culture goes to the other extreme and says that you're impervious. Like if you're just, you are an independent woman or an independent man and you don't need anybody. There's these extremes that we see in culture. And then sadly, we don't see a lot of difference in the church. Do we? In the church, what we see is we either ignore singleness altogether, we pretend like it's not a thing unless you're a little child, or we infantilize it. What do I mean by infantilize? Oh, honey, poor you, someday he'll come. Oh, oh, we don't do it well. The church follows suit. But can we just do better? Like, is there a way that we can do better? Because according to Paul, being married is good and being single is actually better. And he doesn't say you're a better person if you're single, but what he actually says is being single allows you more capacity to serve the Lord, to do his work. So if you're in this room today and you're single, you have a responsibility to serve the Lord in whatever capacity you can. So if you're here and you're married, that's good. And if you're here and you're single, that's also good. Neither marriage or singleness is the goal. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the goal, and Jesus offers abundant life for everyone with no conditions. So it's our call to be transformed, to think differently than our culture. Remember our scripture, our text that Paul says in, in Romans 12? Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Think differently. Live differently. It's God's will that you would be transformed and that you would help other people become transformed, that you would bring more of heaven to earth. Remember how Jesus told us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
John 10, 10, he's come to give us abundant life. I heard a scholar once say, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we're called to be transformed by God and to enjoy God. And when we're transformed by God and we enjoy God, we can go make a difference for God. We can go make a difference for God. So let's just stop worrying about the patterns and the customs of the world. Let's be transformed. And the result of being transformed is a new way, a new hope, a new outlook, a new life. So whether you're single or you're married today, the goal is that you would be transformed and that you would make a difference for Jesus and live an abundant life. But it begs the question, how? Well, I've got three ideas. The first one is this, being secure in your identity. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says this, you're the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people. You are God's instruments chosen to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Anybody gone from rejected to accepted because of Jesus in this room? Any of you from nothing to something because of Jesus? He has given you an identity, and that identity is not single, it's not divorced, it's not widowed, it's not even married with kids. His identity is child, chosen, called, holy. And culture may say a lot of things about your identity, but he levels the playing field. First Peter says we are his instruments designed to do his work, to tell of the difference that he makes. And that's kind of counterintuitive when we look at the Bible. Because when we look at the Bible, what we see is people are always messing up. It actually should give us confidence. Because like if they're screw-ups and they can do it, we can do it too, right? People are always messing up. And yet, God chooses to work through people. He chooses to bring more of heaven to earth through people. And you know what that means? He wants to use you to shift perspectives, to help change and transform the culture, to bring more of heaven to earth. You have an essential role to play. And it is not because of your expertise or your skill set or even your singleness or your, the fact that you're married. He uses people to accomplish his purpose because he loves people. But before you can know what you need to do, you need to know who you are. Your identity is in him and him alone. And there's good news to that because that means your identity is unshakable. It is unshakable. And you know how I know I see this? We see this in the beginning of the story in the Garden of Eden. God establishes an order for man and for woman, for humankind. And the order is this, Imago Dei, vocation, gender, and then marriage. Imago Dei is a Latin term that means image of God. First and foremost in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God say, I am creating Adam in my image. That is the truest thing about you, is that you are created in the image of God. And then in Genesis 2.15, God puts Adam in the garden and he says, I'm going to have him tend to the garden. He gives him purpose. He gives him a task. And so wherever you are, your purpose is important. You have one. And then we see gender come into play where God makes a woman for Adam to be a helper. And then we see marriage come into play. And many of us are looking to culture to establish our identity. And it's no wonder that our identity is a mess. Because when we look to culture as an, to establish our identity, what we see is disordered identities that are based on distortions of God's plan. 
We see that in our culture all around us, don't we? Distortions of God's plan. And as a result, our identities are deformed and dysfunctional. And culture will tell you that in order to be successful, you have to look a certain way and act a certain way and do a certain thing. But your truest identity is that you're made in the image of God. And when you know that, you can lose a lot. You can have a lot of disappointments. But if your identity is secure, you will never lose what matters most. Don't let culture define you. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. The lies of the enemy would say you can't be fulfilled and be single. You can't be optimistic about the future and be divorced. You can't be joyful when you're widowed. You can't be married and have a purpose beyond being married. No, God says that you are chosen. You are called. You are holy. You are righteous. You are worthwhile. You are capable, loved. You are a child of God made in his image. When you realize who you are, You can walk into any room like God sent you there and say whatever it is that God has told you to do. You can face hard things. You can face unfavorable odds. You can stand up to temptation. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When your identity is secure, everything around you can be shaken and you can still stand. The second thing is being steadfast in our calling. Now, if you grew up in Christian circles, calling is sometimes kind of hard because we're all waiting to figure out our calling. Uh, we're like, and don't get me wrong, there are times in the Bible where God comes down, like think of Moses, and gives a very specific word, like a very specific calling. But for most of us, we're still waiting on that burning bush. Have you ever been in front of a burning bush? I haven't. But do we just stop? Do we just stall? Do we just wait? Or can we move forward. See, some of us are not moving forward because we're waiting for our calling. Well, Jesus already actually gave us a specific word about our calling, and it's this, Matthew 28. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And the implication in Greek, when we see therefore go, it actually is saying when you go, not if you go, Not if it makes sense for you, not if it fits your gifts or your agenda, not if you've had enough self-care, not if you're energetic, attractive, young, rich, talented. When you go, not if it fits into your suburban life. Jesus doesn't say, go if you want to. It's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. And I don't want to burst your bubble, or maybe I do because I'm a guest speaker, so I can do that, but your go is uncomfortable. Going to the places God will call you and put you is uncomfortable, but this is the reality. Life is not about your comfort. Life is about actually bringing more of heaven to earth and seeing the lost found and the found free and the free get emboldened. Did you know that in the Twin Cities metro area, there are over one million people who do not know Jesus? It's time to go. It's time to stop waiting for something specific, and it's time to go. And listen, singleness is good, and marriage is good, but can we just, like, dig a little bit deeper? Can we just think about something a little more important? There's nothing inherently wrong with the American dream. It's good. But can we dream a little bigger? Like, can we have a kingdom dream? This is the point of your life is to go and make disciples, to go and make disciples. And do you know why? Because God's obsession is people. I'm not called to a task. I'm called to people. You are called to people. I'm not called to preach. Today, I'm called to preach as an assignment, but I'm called to people. 
Tomorrow, my calling will look like being called to the people that are on my team at my corporate job. You are called to people. And throughout your life and throughout your journey with the Lord, you will have many assignments. And assignments are wonderful. Assignments is how we make a difference. You're going to have a different assignment today than you probably will in five years. Three years ago, my assignment looked different than my assignment of being a church planter today. But my calling has never changed. My calling has been go. It is time to go. And maybe your assignment is your family, or maybe it is your day job, or maybe it's getting involved at church, or maybe it's doing something different that you never expected you would do. Your assignment can change, but your calling is steadfast. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let the enemy scare you because this is the reality. The enemy loves nothing more than a follower of Jesus who is afraid to step forward in their calling. He loves nothing more than men and women who don't know who they are in Jesus, who don't have a calling. And you know what? He fears nothing more than men and women who know who they are in Jesus and have a purpose and have decided that they are going to go. The church that I grew up in, my family has been pastors of a church in the inner city of Kansas City since 1972. And they have a, board, a billboard or a sign up on the side of their building. And it says, what would you attempt for God if you knew you could not fail? What would you attempt for God if you knew you could not fail? Whatever your situation is, whatever your season is, it is time for you to go. You need to be steadfast in your calling, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, if we're going to be honest, most of us have expectations about our lives, right? A few of you are honest. We all have expectations. Like, for example, this morning, when I opened up my Starbucks app, and I was eight minutes away from the store, and it said, your drink will be ready in four to seven minutes. I expected that when I walked into Starbucks, my iced chai would be there and would be ready. And I expected that it would be cold as it was, and I expected that it would be delicious as it was. We all have expectations for our lives, and that's not wrong, but I want you to understand the expectation of your life reveals the focus of your heart. The expectation of your life reveals the focus of your heart. And if you and I could just be honest with each other for a minute, we would probably say that when we have unmet expectations, we stop or we stall or we step back because we're disappointed and it's difficult. We get disappointed with God when our expectations don't pan out and we get tired of waiting. So what do we do? We step out of our calling. But just what if when we had a disappointment or when an expectation didn't get met, what if instead of sitting out, we chose to surrender? The third and final point is this. We need to be surrendered in everything. Surrendered in everything. If you want to be transformed, if you want to make a difference, surrender in everything. What if we just had a bigger perspective what if we could just say, God, I don't like this and I don't get this, but I trust you because what I know from your word is that you are good and you do good. What if we just had that perspective? I heard someone say one time, if you are not anchored in the goodness and character of God when difficult things happen in your life, you will lower your theology to match your pain. And don't we see that everywhere? 
Maybe some of us in this room have done it. We have gone through a heartbreak and we have lowered our opinion of God to match our pain. You've got to be anchored in the fact that he is good. God is God or he isn't. He's good or he's not. He's got you or he doesn't. And I can tell you about him, but you have to decide. Is he good or is he not good? And I want to tell you today, God has not forgotten to bless you, to help you, to heal you, to provide for you, to give you the desires of your heart. Maybe he's just waiting on your surrender. Maybe he's just waiting for you to trust him. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Those people are like trees planted by a riverbank with deep roots into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. They are fruitful in every season. And when you surrender to the Lord, you will be fruitful in every season. Psalm 1 tells us that if we delight in the Lord, we can produce fruit in every season. Your life can always be fruitful, and it's not contingent on if you're single or if you're married or if you've got it together or if you don't. It is contingent on your surrender. Obedience is your job, and outcome is God's. The outcome is not your job. It is God's, and that's good news because the Bible tells us that he is good and he does good. And listen, today might not have the outcome you wanted, but I want to tell you it's not over. See, as I was preparing this message, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, there are some people here who are waiting to see before they'll surrender. But like that's not faith. Faith is actually choosing to surrender before you see in the hopes that you will one day see. Your job is not to create the exact outcome you hope for. Your job is to obey and to trust and to surrender to the Lord. And when you do that, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you remember David? Is a pretty big character in scripture. He was a shepherd boy who was kind of anointed king, and he didn't even necessarily ask for it or know what was going on. He was just brought into the house, and, being, and he was anointed as king. And then he went, and he became kind of this war hero. He killed this big giant that had been taunting the Israelites. He did some good things. And then he actually got summoned to the palace to play the harp for King Saul, who was going through some stuff. And he got this kind of like notoriety. And then you know what we see a few chapters later in the story? King Saul turns on David, and David is running for his life and hiding in a cave. Can you imagine what David thought? Okay, I did everything God asked me to do. Okay, I killed the giant. I said yes to being king. I surrendered that. Uh, I played the harp for Saul. And why am I in this cave? See, it's important to note David wasn't in sin, he wasn't rebelling, he actually was obeying. And he found himself in a cave. And see, what you and I know now that David didn't know back then is that those were just David's pre-king days. That was just part of the story leading up to the ultimate story. We know that, but David didn't know that. See, God wasn't actually concerned about David's immediate circumstance. He was concerned about David's heart. And he took time to develop it. You know, I thought that I'll for sure be married by the age of 21. And by 25, I'll be done having all my kids. By 28, 
I'll have my doctorate, and by 30, I'll be driving that BMW. Well, you guys already know I'm not married and don't have kids. Tomorrow, I start my second master's degree, not a doctorate. And I love my 2011 Volkswagen Jetta, but it certainly is no BMW. And I can get frustrated that my life didn't turn out the way I expected or the way I planned or the way I had hoped or I can look to God and let my failed expectations rest on his shoulders instead of mine. And when I surrender everything, I might not get the situation that I want, but I do get the Savior. And when I get the Savior, I can say no matter what happens in my life, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And when I can say that and mean it, then rivers of living water flow out of me and I flourish and I am transformed and I experience life and life to the full and it is not dependent on my situation. I get the Savior. I have to think about my life from God's timeline or nothing else makes sense or nothing makes sense. And you today, maybe you have felt forgotten or overlooked or maybe you're dealing with some unmet expectations. Look, I don't mean to diminish them. Pain is hard. But we get to choose our response. And I just want to tell you, hold on. Just wait. What if these are just your pre-king days? God hasn't forgotten to bless you. He hasn't forgotten to fulfill his promise to you. He will show up. And some of you have been waiting for a really long time for contentment or for peace or for joy or for freedom. And this is what I want to tell you today. Just surrender everything. Just obey and just trust God to be the good God that we know he is. Trust him with the outcome. Be secure in your identity. Be steadfast in your calling. Be surrendered in everything. And know that you are seen. There's a story in Genesis 16, and it deals with this guy Abraham. And, you know, Abraham had been given a promise from God that he was going to be the father of many, that he'd have many descendants, except there was one problem he had no children. And so him and Sarah wait, and they wait, and they wait, and nothing happens. God doesn't show up in their mind. And so they do something that I do not advise you to do. They took matters into their own hands. And Sarah took one of her handmaidens. That's kind of code for one of her slaves. Someone from her house. And she gave her to Abraham and she said, take her, sleep with her, go have a child. And Abraham's like, well, this is really weird, but okay. And then after this happens, Sarah is filled with such rage and jealousy and anger towards this woman whose name is Hagar. That Hagar gets so disgusted and so upset and she flees the house. Now slavery in this time was not really like the slavery you and I know of today, the transatlantic slave trade. This was actually much more like a job. Like they would willingly go and, and work in order to provide for their family. So Sarah abandons her only source, or not Sarah, Hagar abandons her only source of income her only ability to provide for herself. And she runs, and she runs and ends up in the desert. And she's sitting in the desert, grieving, upset, unmet expectations, broken, not sure who she is, and the Lord shows up. And the Lord says, you are pregnant, and you will have many descendants. And he's going to be a wild man, but you're going to have a lot of descendants. 
And for maybe the first time in her life, Hagar knows she's been seen. And she says this in verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well there was named Bir Lahairoi, which means well of the living one who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Barad. I don't know if you know this or not. There's a lot of times in the Bible where people give names to God, but that had never happened up to this point. The very first person to name God was a single female slave, an outcast. And she said, you are the God who sees me. And I want you to understand today, the God who saw her sees you. His name is Elroy, the God who sees. And today, I don't know how you feel. I don't know what your story, I don't know what your situation, I don't know what you're hoping for, but I want you to know that you are seen by the God who sees. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Before we end today, I want to pray. And I'm going to pray for two specific things. The first is, I want to pray for you if you don't know Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with him, I, I do this every time I preach because I don't know. But the first step to being content, to having a full and abundant life is to know Jesus. And so if you don't know him today, you can know him. And so we're going to pray for that. And then I also want to just pray a special prayer over everyone here who's single. And I'm not going to single you out. But I want to pray for you that you would live a life that is full and abundant, that you would be fulfilled and transformed. So every eye closed, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not asking if you have heard of him. I'm not asking if you went to confirmation. I'm asking, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? If you don't, you can today. And I'm going to do something very simple. I'm just going to count to three. All eyes are closed. And if you want to know him, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand and we'll pray a prayer together. So one, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. But the Bible also says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Two, the Bible says that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you are a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. Three, just lift your hand up so I can see it if you'd like a relationship with Jesus today. Just lift it up. Yes. Okay, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask everyone to just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I believe you are Lord. Come into my life and make me new. Jesus, I pray for every person in this place who is living with the reality that is different than what they expected or hoped for. God, I pray for every person in this place that is single. Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand their identity, to know that you have a calling for them, and to know that they are safe when they surrender to you. And actually, Lord, I pray that for everybody, that we would all know that every single one of us are your children made in your image. So, Father, we surrender new and afresh to you today. Come and do what only you can do. Father, I pray for every person here who has unmet expectations about their singleness. 
Father, show them that you're good. Show them that they are fulfilled and called as they are. In your name, Jesus.